cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Reports. I'm Jonathan. And Romani is present. Wit, how are you? I'm well in yourself, Kevin Eck. I've got dis- very distressing news, actually. Do you? I went to my barber today, a true story. And I walked in and I said, Henry, I want to look like a Nazi. And he said, which As one? you do, you know. Yes, yeah, I want a Nazi haircut. And then his response was, oh, which one? Hitler or Himmler? It's very can fun. You, so he's obviously had large, large requests. Can you, can you believe it? The so, alt-right is taking root in this country. Terrible. And we have to root them out. And we'll start with my barber. So We, we will start with what, with what pitchforks and, and uh, torches. Well, I'll get the gun, you get the bullets. And we'll drag him out in the streets of Rosebank tomorrow. <laughs> make, make a public sacrifice. Sure. Was he, um, was he upset about the latest Trump revelations? I don't know. I don't think he knows who Trump is, to be honest. <laughs> or gives a shit. He cuts, he cuts a lot of hair. Shame. Uh, um, what's the latest Trump revelation? You no, know, everyone in America is losing their minds over, you know, my Russia investigation. Um, so, oh, but right, that he, going on? He fired James Comey. Yeah, he fired Comey, and then there's, I don't know, he's just, and he's been a bit of a moaner lately, actually. Oh, he's the most persecuted I'm, politician I'm a, ever. I'm a bit of a victim. Don't you know that? Yeah, I, 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 it's not a good look on him, actually. Um, but uh, you know about Trump because we got stuff going on at home. We do. Well, we we've had in the past couple of weeks we've had people burning down uh, other people's homes, and when uh, people burning other people, we've had that too. Uh, there's some crazy, crazy stuff going on, and uh, obviously, in keeping with uh, our great respect for the hashtag Men Are Trash theme, right. we've invited another male onto the podcast. And don't mention that he's white. Yes. White males are trash. Would you like to introduce our guest? Indeed. So our guest this week is Mr. Rian Malan, who is is not very well known. He wrote like a book that did quite well a few years back. Uh, And now he writes horrible, horrible pieces about what he sees in far-flung towns in the Northwest. So, Mr. Malan, welcome to the show. Well, very nice of you to have me. And you've forgotten my third epithet. I'm also a Dutchman here, so, yeah. Oh, also... uh, Right. Is that a politically correct term? No, you'll have to, you'll have to come after me with pitchforks as well. Oh, Sorry about that. Ma- uh, uh, Macroaggressions. Uh, only, only when the revolution comes. You don't have a Nazi haircut, so it's not quite, uh, so, uh, what do you call it? It's not obvious that you. Offensive. That you terribly yeah. offensive or part of the alt-right. Apparently we are part of the alt-right. We're apparently we. Somehow we created it out of nowhere on this it's podcast. Kind of like someone signing you up to a porn site on the web. Like we we didn't know it happened, but we're just part of the alt right. I did. So I'm sort of old school, so I still read newspapers. But I must say, of, of all the figures who've appeared in the American Horizon in the last several years, Milo was just amazing. I mean, <laughs> I miss Milo terribly. The highest entertainer. Okay, Trump trumps him. Trump's more entertaining. But I mean, Milo was really he he was good value. Brilliant and outrageous. He, he was good value. Um, although he got a bit repetitive towards the towards the end of his before the explosion of you know, uh-huh. being uh, being outed, um, uh, but I mean, talk about America. I mean, you lived there for a number of years mm. during the the seventies. I mean, you, you left South Africa what in seventy seven somewhere around there. I left in seventy seven. Yeah, uh, to to not 
get conscripted into the army, yeah. which I approve of, by the way, because I hate, I hate military stuff. Well, that's, that's kind of you. I mean, if you'd met me as I stepped off the plane in London, I, I would have said that I was a just white man and I couldn't bear too moral to take up arms against apartheid. But, dude, I'm too old to lie anymore. It's like I didn't want to cut my hair. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I think that is a better excuse, actually, in so, my opinion. So how long, did, how long were you out of the country for? I was in America for about eight years. I eventually got a, a green card and almost at the t- within a day or two of getting this green card, um, trouble started. That was like in 1984. Trouble started in Sebo King and like South Africa caught fire and it looked as though the war that I was trying to avoid it at last started. Instead of congratulating myself and staying where I was, I got in a plane and came back again and here I am. <laughs> uh, what for? Was it just document what was going on really? Ah, dude, it's like, I hate to sound like a, 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 a liberal, but I mean, my, my impression of this country is that, you know, it is always, you live in the midst of, of these titanic dramas in which everyone, even the lowest of us, we, we all feel as though we, we, we're actors in something much larger than us. And America was just so boring in comparison with South Africa. So I came back and no, <laughs> I wouldn't say I regret it, but um, here I am. Can I? Just reflect on that statement. You, you say you don't want to sound like a liberal, but when you came back in the 80s, you would have been very much regarded as quite on the left, as very much a liberal um, in the past week or so, and we'll get to your latest writings, but in the past week or so, you've very much been pretty much called right wing yeah. um, and all the sort of epithets that go with with yeah. that insult which often don't really apply but 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 nevertheless they they get thrown out there um what do you think's happened to the liberal left so to speak that someone like yourself who essentially refused to serve the apartheid government um purposely removed themselves from from that and then came back to try and and get involved in ending that regime um it is 25 years later seen as right-wing. Ah, oh, dude. And an extremist. <laughs> a right-wing extremist. Oh, well, if you, if you insist. Listen, I, I definitely was a, I was a sort of, a, I was a sort of dog socialist when I was at Wits in, in the early 70s. I used to attend all the demonstrations and I used to finish everyone else's lines about socialism and how it had the logic of gravity in South Africa. And then I went to America and the first election when I was there was Jimmy Carter versus Reagan. And I was out there like sort of trying to motivate my, my drug addicted and, and apathetic friends to get to the polls to vote against the beast Reagans that we could see. <laughs> and when Carter lost, I wrote him a letter saying, don't worry about these people saying nasty things about you. We in South Africa, we will remember you. And I got a handwritten reply, which I thought was quite cool. But sh- shortly after that, I joined this organization called the Second Thoughts Forum, which is run by a guy called David Horowitz. It was like an al- Alcoholics Anonymous for uh, for disillusioned communists. And that, I mean, well, sorry, but David Horowitz is a phenomenal figure. I, mm. I read, I know, well, I don't know him, but I read his books, and uh, he was on Ruben Report a few months back. Phenomenal figure. Yeah, I mean, for me, the interesting thing, the reason he had credibility is that he had second thoughts himself. He was an enfant terrible of the American Communist Party. By the time he was 21 or 22, he'd written this whole stack of books with impossible titles like Marx and Shakespeare and Empire and Revolution. And then he woke up one day and he realized it was all nonsense. And then he started trying to, to help like sort of like brain damaged young South Africans like me to over- overcome our to take the cataract off our eyes and try and see socialism clearly. Um, anyway, so 
Yes, well, South Africa, when I came back to South Africa, I didn't know already what was going on. I got off the plane and my nostrils were assailed by, by, by the reek of, um, God, that sort of, shall we call it Stalinism or maybe Fidelism. It's just that the UDF of that, of that, that time is the American press had been telling, telling me that these guys were liberals like me or like an army of sort of him singing Martin Luther King types who just wanted to move to the front of the bus. But up close, they were, the color was red and their slogan was socialism is freedom. Um, if that answers your question, so. It kind of gets lost in the history somewhere. I, did. I, 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 don't, I don't want to sit here and say that you know I struggled against apartheid. It's ridiculous. I, I did a bit. I was questioned by the security police. I had my mail intercepted. I used to write things that the establishment didn't like, but it's it's cheap coin. <laughs> it's, I'm just another. I'm one of them, a white South African. Yeah. Although not framed in the way. You know that that is as a group framed these days. The, you know the collectivist yeah. white South African is is the white privileged South African who has only benefited from that system, um, and in theory did nothing to 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 fight it. Um, so I, I do think it's 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 worth something. Do well, you not, dude. I think that's kind of nice of you. I read one of my rare forays onto YouTube the other day, and I found some really glamorous black American girl. First of all, she's doing her fingernails, and then she started recommending books to read. And here, both of my both of my books, and she says, "I've read this guy. He's like really great." So, I suppose that's that's an endorsement that counts for something. <laughs> Who is this uh, American YouTuber? I've absolutely, absolutely no. She seemed to be some sort of star, or some sort or other, because she was. Uh, it was like sort of, you know, she was in her crib and she was doing her fingernails and she was chatting to a camera, and then she held these two books up. And said nice things about me. So I've got at least one black friend left in the world. <laughs> so My Traitor's Heart was, was quite successful um, as a book. You want to tell us a bit about that? You know, listeners who might not have read it and, and don't know what it's about and, and the, the sort of dialogue that that might have created. After the, I guess the thing that I'm most proud about My Traitor's Heart is that uh, – for like much of the last two decades, like foreigners, especially diplomats and businessmen, people coming to South Africa keep telling me that this is on the essential reading list for everyone who comes to South Africa because they said, not me, that it was a really rarely honest account by a white person of what it was like to live here. You know, at a time at the time that I wrote that book, this the South African the view of South Africa was Manichaean, it was white <coughs> vice versus you know black white evil versus black good and if you beg to differ it was very difficult you know you've got people with pitchforks would come after you because South Africa was the the one hard rock in a global swamp of relativistic equivocation the one place where the lines are drawn um, my South Africa even at that stage was complicated um, I think the only people who really understood really understood the book were members of the white members of the South African Communist Party who understood exactly that they said this is a right wing book written from a left written in, in left wing language <laughs> and that I was there for a wolf, wolf in sheep's clothing. Um, anyway the, the book caused a lot of controversy and was taught in universities and translated into various various languages and hey it got republished uh, the year before last as a pen as a vintage modern classic so um, I'm up there in a very small way, in, in the sort of small print at the very bottom of like a series of really great authors, beginning with Joseph Conrad. So, yeah, I mean, and and I think you'll continue to be part of that upper strata because the the local authors here have a lot of bluster, but no one writes classics anymore. 
thankfully so. But I mean, but in the conclusion of that book, as your, I mean, of, of course your mind has changed a bit. It's been, what is it, 27 years since it came out? Oh, dude, it's you a, have changed. It's, it's longer. I, I, I finished that book. In, I, I finished the book in my mind in October 1986. It's a bad time in South Africa. We were supposed to have a race war, and I had to decide what side I was on. And that's basically what that book is about. It's an autobiography masquerading as a. It's a political argument masquerading as a as as, as a as a book. And at, at that stage. I just, you know, I, I can, I, you know, I often find myself then, as I do now, in the cold and deep darkness of ideological outer space, like contemplating like war and horror and genocide, and so put, putting my gun to somebody's head and pulling the trigger. And I just decided, I reason my way to think that at the end of the day, almost all political questions if ultimately revol- resolve. They, be- they become, they acquire a, re- a religious aspect. So I ended my book on the note of this woman who'd been really disillusioned by. Her experiences in Africa, her, her, her expedition of consciousness into an Africa that most whites listen to this have never even imagined. And she had a pretty bad experience, but she sort of, I mean, the concluding idea is like, you know, all, all, love is all you have to hold against the darkness. And if you give in to the darkness, you become, ah, uh, I'm going to sound really religious. It's a, just, let's say we, Hitler will live forever because of what he did. Afrikaners did a lot of bad things along the way, and it seemed to me that I couldn't really ultimately, at the end of the day, scar myself, Metilla, if you're going to say that. But, I mean, this is the uh, – I was looking at the end of that book the other day, and I think this is exactly the situation that black South Africans are in now. The hand <coughs> – the shoes on the other foot, you know, the, the balance of power has changed radically. Now we are a small minority. And I think a lot of black people listen to that, especially those who support certain extremist movements. I just want to warn you about something, dude. You pulled, you pushed one way by the commands of your blood and genes, and you're going to be pulled the other way by the dissenting voices of your heart. Listen to the latter, because if you don't, you'll regret it one day. Your name will be Kak, like Hutus, for the rest of your life, and maybe f- unto your children and children, your sins, <laughs> your sins will be visited upon them. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you in that regard. I mean, do you think there is a, how do I explain? Do you think that there's an air of culpability now in that, some black South Africans are becoming well they've always been aware but they're aware that they are part of the reason why this country is going to the dogs in a way due to their, due to their voting patterns due to uh, what they wanted from, from the powers that be um, things like that, I mean do you think there's a reckoning happening within, within the mind of the average black South African Did you see Astonishing amounts of it in the in columnists like 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 Malala, politicians like uh, Matthews Poza, in the crawl spaces and the comments below, sort of controversial articles. I think I think I think that uh, an awful lot of black South Africans would share my dread apprehensions about what's going to happen next in this country. Uh, I hope their numbers grow because I think the situation is quite serious. What do you think will happen? Well, it's got to look like this. I think that the modern era in South Africa started, and for me, it started in Easter 2010 when uh, Julius Malema went to visit Zimbabwe, and he appeared in the Sunday Times that Sunday morning, sort of singing the praises of Mugabe and saying, Mugabe shows us the way. This is the path that we must follow. 
was completely out of line with ANC policy at that stage. And so I waited for him to be repudiated or drawn into line or some, some statement to be issued. I waited three or four days. And then I wrote an opinion piece for the Telegraph saying that the game had changed completely. And I ended it uh, with the Latin phrase, te moratori salutant, which in retrospect is like sort of a bit heated because it means those are about to die salute you. But I think looking, as soon as, as soon as Julius took up the, the ex- extreme position, started playing the race card with the enormous skill that he does, the enormous skill and vigor, he started a chain reaction because extremism begets extremism. It created a situation where it was very difficult for other forces in black politics. In order, in order for them to stay abreast of Malema, they had to move towards extremes themselves. And I think we saw the culmination of that process, say, in, in uh, the State of the Nation address this year, where Zuma committed himself to a whole series of radical new ideas, including radical economic transformation, whatever that means, a lot of rhetoric about building socialism and pushing the revolution to its conclusion. And finally, uh, expropriation without compensation of land. Um, so, I mean, this is a dangerous situation for us to be in. I, mean, I agree it's dangerous, but do you actually believe them? Do you actually believe what the ANC says? Because I don't think they believe themselves what they say. And uh, you may call me naive on this. I understand if you do so. They're selling a product, right? Oh, they, they've got a revolutionary brand that they're trying to... I mean, I'd say with, you know, the tempting thing is to say is to say is, is that all this, and especially in the case of the president, is a, is a smokescreen to just to cover and to create a a barrier behind which he can hide. It's like sort of more nefarious motives, which have quite a lot to do with maintaining power and enriching himself and his family, and of course the Guptas. But on the other hand, it's like in, 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 uh, if he feels the only way that he can hold on to power is by is by sidestepping Julius or outflanking Julius to the left and, 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 and promising even more loot and easy gains and easy solutions to, to the masses in, in, in South Africa. That's, um, you know, you, you set in motion processes that maybe, maybe he wouldn't be able to, even if he did, that's not his end, maybe, that he wouldn't be able to correct. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested just in terms of a comment you made, you know, in terms of going down the sort of hole yeah. and what your, what gets ascribed to you and your name and your legacy. Um, and I suppose apartheid in some way will always be ascribed to the Afrikaner nationalism and, and, and the Afrikaner in, in many respects. Do you, do you think that South Africa's heading Basically, in a very similar direction, and 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 you know, you've, you've mentioned a lot of points in history. Are we, are we going towards a similar um, kind of rule where I, I'm not suggesting a reverse apartheid to anything as simple as that. Um, I'm just suggesting um, something as horrible as 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 that time. <sighs> When I look into the future in South Africa, dude, I, I struggle to understand how we as South Africans, as a collective, is how little we've learned from what happened in Zimbabwe over the last 20 years, shall we say. All these people who attack me and say I'm a racist because I say we're going towards Zimbabwe. Dude, just because I'm not, just because I'm, I'm, I'm paranoid, it doesn't mean that that isn't necessarily true. And I think that that, basically the, the, the consequences of, uh, 
of a certain kind of extremism and of using it to shield the, the interests of the of the parasitic elite of, of the ruling party. Thus set the precedent for, for, for what we, we're looking into. And, it's, and as we know, it's like, who welcomes this in, in this country? You know, half of Zimbabwe now lives in Johannesburg. The, the country is in a state of ruin. Um, 7.9 trillion percent inflation per annum in like 2007 or 2008 and 95% unemployment if, you, if, you, if we, had, we had to believe these things. So if this is, it's like a sort of without, if we are, don't take cognizance of this, don't going to read the writing on the wall, we're going to die of stupidity. Yeah, it, I can't disagree with that. I think you know, it occurs to me that in the early 2000s, there were people who were saying, and I'm not sure if you were one of them, but there were people who were saying that we were heading towards a Zimbabwe situation in South Africa. And, and at the time, many people were very optimistic about the country. Uh, and there were some good reasons to be optimistic. And they, anyone who basically said this was basically fobbed off as as. Yeah. Uh, being paranoid, as you say, or, or, reactionary. or just reactionary, or not realistic, or or just stuck in the past, and and all these kinds of things, and it seems as if the further we get away from those times, the more we do head towards that Zimbabwe-like situation, um, and I I just wonder when we will start to actually have those very real conversations. Because you've mentioned it, we've mentioned it on this on the show in the past, uh, exactly as you said, the ANC, as a result of people like Julius Malema, has moved to k- try keep up and has moved so far to the left that we look to be repeating um, those mistakes. Um, and I'm not sure how we how we potentially avoid that. Dude, I don't care if people call me a racist. I love this fucking country. My heart is as pure as the driven snow. I show you the. I, I'll be admitted to heaven. The, I'm 62 years old, and the towering fact of my life, the thing that killed everything else, is the rise of China. What happened with the rise of China is Dong Xiaoping, after the death of Mao, looked around and said, this is pathetic. You know, 50 to 70 million people have died of communism and the great leap forward and starvation in, in, in the last since, since our party came to power. There's absolute misery in this country and the tiger economies of Asia are taking off and sooner or later our people are going to recognize. So let's fix this, dudes, comrades. And then he comes with a small idea that he's, that he's just going to free the, the collective farmers from the yoke of collectivism and, and allow them to farm in their own interest. So if you work harder than me and you grow more tomatoes, you can sell them, you can keep the profits, i.e. you accept the meritocracy and that there's, the result is going to be mm-hmm. unequal. And this is like tossing, tossing a, a match into a, a tank of gasoline. The whole country goes woof. And 40 years later, the whole global power balance has changed. And China's got the world's largest economy. And this entity that we hate in South Africa, white monopoly capital and the imperialist West, has been bloodied. <laughs> And it's been bloodied by the adoption of free inter- of a form of free enterprise. You can't argue with that. This is the way, this is, this is the engine that drove China. I cannot believe that South Africa is, is not a country where everyone doesn't understand that, where we're still having these antediluvian 19th century fights about the merits of socialism, what happens if you nationalize the banks and, it just <laughs> Because we have these answers. We know what happens when you do that. You take an egg and you drop it, it breaks. 
It doesn't bounce. It's not going to bounce. It's not going to bounce again. Look at Venezuela. Look at what's happened to like the 20, 15 year experiment with, with Chavism, which is like a close cousin of fidelism. And so for the disaster, there's no food. There's no medicine in the hospital. People are desperately unhappy. There's Zimbabwe's this crap. Why are we even talking about emulating these countries? I'm not saying this to defend white interests. I don't care if you kill me. I'm old. My life is really over. That is the truth. Hmm. It is the overriding truth of my time. We should. I, so, so why are we defending yeah. these things? Why is that happening? Well, I think it's the, at least in part, the pernicious legacy of the South African Communist Party, or if you will, of the sort of Marxism that it, uh, that the Soviet Marxist limbs it, 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 it propounded. Where first of all, there's this one thing: is that because your struggle was righteous, it was okay to use violence to pursue the ends. And secondly, the blind faith in the socialist utopia and millennia. I think it's an idea that over time, is like, and in various forms of dilution, is really captured the imagination of the chattering classes in South Africa. When I look at uh, some of the syllabi that are taught, for example, at Witts University, the university I once attended, and utterances and the, 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 the academic writing of some of the people who teach there, I think it's... Well, this is Ken Owens' line, not mine. Um, you know, it's basically like a Marxist Lenin sausage factory. I don't think people are ever exposed to ideas from the outside that might obliterate this cocoon that they live in. So I, th- I just think that, you know, the other thing for, for white people, South Africa is like, socialism is, it's like a solvent. It's, it's a way of, dis- of, of dissolving your whiteness and you can pretend that you're on the side of, of Africans. So it's very attractive to a certain kind of white left winger for that reason. Um, makes you feel as though you belong and that you're on side with the comrades and this gives you a mission in your life. Um, <clears throat> I'd wonder about that. But the other thing is it promises this, these easy answers. All we have to do is nationalize the banks and the land, and then the heavens are going to open and manna will descend on us and we will be blessed. Comrades, we won't. We will not be blessed. <laughs> uh, no, we won't. No, we won't. And the problem is, I mean, I blame, I blame whites for this. Liberal whites are like the worst people in South Africa at the moment because the problem is they see black people as a, as a pet project. They are deeply, deeply patronizing because as soon as a black person goes off the plantation, metaphorically, as soon as a black person is a capitalist or as soon as a black person has ulterior ideas that are not socialistically mm. inclined, they are, tra- they, they are a traitor. And, and other white people call them like a race traitor or an Uncle Tom or a house nigger or whatever the case might yeah. be. Um, which is, and, and it, and it, it, it confounds me that black people accept this from these fucking white liberals who, you know, Malcolm X said 50 years ago, beware the white liberal. Mm. Well, and, uh, and they still take it. Well, all I, all I can say is amen. It seems there's a certain kind of snobbish, well-educated, usually well-off white left liberal academic. They need blacks to be victims. Without victims, in whose name that they can, they can speak, they can't demonstrate their virtue or signal their virtue. And they're, you know, their, their mission in life is going to be lost. Listen, I, Give me a drink or two and I start sort of imagining I get into conversation with like sort of white leftists and the, and the next thing I'm just imagining I've got a baseball bat, bat and I'm, their heads are going splat as I swing at them. And this is a very ugly thing to say, but I mean, it's been – there. there's a certain – I think it's uh, – ideologically speaking – the, the, the ideological climate in South Africa is to a considerable creation of white academics. Yes. And I really don't know. And, they, and to some extent, it's like I think that they've misled um, black people. But they've certainly created a lot of acolytes in, the, in, their, in, in, their, in their own image. Who have, who have, I mean, 
who isn't you can count on one hand the two the the, the prominent um, black um, non socialists in South Africa. Yes. We, we we know their names often because they're so vilified. Indeed. <laughs> I mean to start with Herman Mashaba is like if if you're not black and you're not a victim, if you're proud and you say, I don't you say if off the begging bowl, don't patronize me. Yeah, I can if make my say, own way in I, life. I will force you to respect me. <laughs> Then suddenly you're a house nigger and a coconut, and a, it's ridiculous. Uh, and it's not just a local phenomenon. I mean, it happens all over. It happens in 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 the USA as well. Uh, I mean, you could you could count the the five, you know, top black conservatives. Uh, you know, it's it's Thomas Sowell, Walter E. Williams, uh, you know, people like that, and they never win Nobel Peace Prizes, despite Thomas Sowell writing the most important books hmm. of the 20th century. They never get the Presidential Medal. They never get anything. Clarence Thomas is another one. Yeah. Hmm. They never get recognition at all. But but you got fucking DeRay, what's his name, Mackerson, who starts Black Lives Matter with his fucking little vest. Uh, and hmm. he tweets about Taco Bell all the time because he's sponsored by them. And he, and he gets an audience with fucking Barack Obama the very next day. That's a fucking outrage. I would say the Thomas Sowell shit. Um, could this be for the first fifty years of my life? Is that man's name was never mentioned in South Africa? He didn't exist other than in my imagination by ten other people that I knew. But I mean, if your readers never heard him, he has a money back guarantee. Get get his, his seminal book as the Economics and Politics of Race. It uh, blew my juvenile fits left head off when I read it. I couldn't. Yeah, anyway, an extremely powerful, well-argued book. Great man. Yeah, a fantastic man. He was, he was like you. He was a Marxist in his youth. He believed everything you believed. He grew up in Harlem, uh, in, in New York City. And, and, you know, he has a revelation and now he is the most, to me, the most well-respected, uh, just a genius. He, talk, he writes about economics, culture, politics, um, religion, anything you yeah. want in the world. And he's a phenomenal man, and no one knows him. His books aren't prescribed at universities. No one quotes him in – okay, we quote him on this podcast, but we're the only ones by far. And he, and this is a black person who came from poverty, who has conquered everything he set out to conquer. He's written the most important book of the 20th century. And what does he get from, from socialists? Nothing. They don't even know he exists. Or if they know he exists, he gets a, quite a lot of hatred and, and, and demeaned really because, and it's not about fighting his ideas. It's just about fighting, taking on the man because unfortunately for them, he, he, he represents a, um, he's off destruction the, yeah. of, of, of their reality. Yeah, he's off which, the, he's, which is not in touch with reality at all. He's off the plantation. He's off the slave plantation and therefore exactly. he's an enemy. A free black man with a free mind. You know, people listen to this might think we're all insane or, or radical, but I really think that that's uh, – fate presents young black Americans with a very difficult choice. Is it, have you read The End of Racism by D'Souza? Uh, no, not yet. Well, just to, to be black in America, just like, so one, one, one anecdote. When, when rap became very big and, and uh, acts like – I'm probably not allowed to say this, so I'll say N.W.A., Niggas with attitude. <laughs> oh, please, please say whatever you want. Anyway, so you know that the content of, of, of rap music, especially the early hardcore stuff, was like, you know, slap bitch, suck here, um, shoot policemen, etc. Yeah. Total disrespect for all forms of authority, from schoolmasters to, to pastors, and uh, a lot of uh, glorification of violence. 
So you find black parents all across America like really being worried about this and trying to starting this nationwide campaign to to shut it down. And one of the things that they were saying is like, who's the who are the people pumping this music into? This vile and music into 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 our children's imag- imagination. They said it's, it's all white people. It's like, and then it's being the process in, is endorsed by New York Times critics and like you know the most important white writers in America who think that hey these guys they get glorified as rebels and they're not taking shit and they you know they they dress they dress sharp and so forth. And they said this is like this is well, this is something that white America is actually doing to us and they're making us pay for it. What amount of attention like sort of you know. This was like some years ago in America, but it's the sort of thing where, where, where you start, as soon as you say things like that, then you're deemed to be uncool and you're slave mentality, self-hating, self-hating Negro. And it's, it's simply not true. And I, I long for the doubt, dude, I'm, in the African context, the African Renaissance begins on the day that history throws up a black conservative leader who's just going to say one thing. I am not a victim. I am not here to be a victim. I don't want your charity. I don't want your pity. I want your respect. Now watch me. I'm going to blow the whistle and like Kami in Rwanda, blow the whistle and at six o'clock every Saturday morning, everyone's going to get out in the streets and go and clean them. I will follow that man. Pillars of smoke and fire in the sky. That way to a better future for everyone who lives in South Africa. And it's not going to be socialist. I can tell you now. <laughs> but, but isn't, isn't, okay, Mashaba, He's been in power for a short amount of time, but don't you think like that? That alone, I would never have predicted to have a conservative mayor in Johannesburg. Well, I guess just goes to show this, that uh, that I better I better check my uh, my microaggressions and uh, racist generalizations at the door because South Africa is complicated. Whites like me have been here for three and a half centuries, and in that in that time, a lot. A lot of Africa has rubbed off on us, and I think I think vice versa. I, I don't think the battle for South Africa is, is 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 by any means over at this stage, but it's on. The battle is on, and it's time now <laughs> for people to uh, stand up and declare themselves. No, indeed. I mean, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast in a very small way. But yeah, so the battle is on. Let's uh, se- use that as a segue to Caligny. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Um, the people who say colony. Okay, so colony. So, as I'm sure everyone is aware, um, there's this incident that takes place uh, with uh, this uh, young boy or man. I'm, I'm not sure how to He's term it. He's 16. He's 16. A 16 year old um, boy uh, who is found allegedly uh, stealing flowers. And uh, is loaded onto the back of a bucky and being transported to the police station. And at some point in that process, he dies. Um, And I I hope I'm not uh, misrepresenting anything there. I'm not trying to be as unbiased as possible. Uh, And obviously, it's uh, two white farmers and it's uh, a black child. and as we know in South Africa, this is just the perfect opportunity for a fire, really, a, a metaphorical and what turned out to be literal fire um, of, of racial division. Um, and, and there are many people in the media, in politics, who enjoy stoking that fire. So you go there, and I, 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 I get the sense that your approach to 
journalism is very much like uh, what I understand Al Pacino's approach to acting is, which is that he uh, he he basically the method acting method acting. He immerses himself in the entire process. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, so tell us tell us a bit about before you wrote the article because I yeah. if you haven't read the articles pause the podcast now and and, and go Google it and, and read it but before you write the article while you're there and and in the subsequent days after that tell us a bit about what happened and your thinking listen I went I went to colony basically because it seemed to offer a chance to examine the link between extremist rhetoric um, all whites are thieves Um I admire Hitler because he killed white people. I love Hitler for that. And so between that sort of rhetoric of which we've heard a lot in the last two years and what actually happened in Colony, because at least from the outset, from the outside, it was, it was, sorry, that was me. It won't happen again. I mean, in, in, in the media, it was, it was generally portrayed as a spontaneous out, outburst of, of black rage, unpremeditated, um, apparently leaderless, leaderless, nobody taking responsibility. It was, and then triggered once again by by the assumption that uh, the the charge made against these two white guys, largely since they were white and Afrikaans, and since since their victim was at least initially deemed to be a twelve year old black child, there's a single witness who says who says he saw them beating this child to death. They've got another side of the story, and the police have, I'm afraid, the investigation has proceeded very slowly. They haven't found any other witnesses. The post-mortem hasn't been completed, and if the post-mortem had, had been turned in, I mean, this is surely going to settle the, the issue. You know, if I, if I was to beat you to death with my fists and, 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 and feet, your body would bear very different scars from those that would carry if you'd, if, if you'd fallen off the back of a bucky. But anyway, so there were all these unknowns. I arrived in, in, in Colina, and, and I th- it was probably naive of me to assume that I, I could get black people to talk about the un- Everyone wanted to talk about racism in the town and how they felt that they were victims of racism and how the boys didn't like them and they were forced to speak Afrikaans. All these alibis for what had happened, which is basically it was a – let's – be charitable as a, a principal demonstration that almost immediately generated into indiscriminate looting went on for 24 hours before police restored order and then resumed again after the funeral of the boy um, <clears throat> which was uh, addressed by important ANC leaders who I believed poured flames in the fire they certainly didn't sort of call for calm and let's wait until the facts in there um, the provincial premier rocked up and said, no, I'm, they, I'm, I'm tired of white supremacy. I'm tired of white superiority. I'm calling all whites to show them that there are visitors in this country. And other speakers, like, you know, prejudged the issue entirely that this was a racist murder. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, man. I'm, I'm getting off, off the. No, no. Perfectly fine. At the time, at the time I was in the town, there was a perpetual crowd outside the magistrate's court where this bail hearing was underway, and all the journalists were hanging around there in, in the main road, which had been looted and, and, and trashed. Um, and I just did, you know, what God, what journalists do, you know. I, well, one of the things I did that nobody else had bothered to do is, like, as soon as I arrived in this town, I, 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 I asked, what is that burned-out building? And somebody told me, you know, that, that's the old Indian group area um, where Indians were consigned in, in the 1960s and 70s to apartheid, and he has this gutted house. So I thought, well, that's interesting. The drama, as it's, as it's been portrayed in the newspapers, the question of black versus white, black just just black retaliation for like white abominable behavior, whatever the case may be. I thought the best people to talk about this would be Asians, they who occupy a sort of position between the two racial extremes. So, mm. 
So that, that led me, uh, one step led to another. I found myself at the mosque and, and here, like unheralded by any, any media, the real victims of the writing that went on, which is 53 mostly Bangladeshis, Somalis and Ethiopians, um, who lost everything. These guys used to had spaza shops and tuck shops in the, in, in, in Kuligny's township. And, uh, anyway, they, they fled for their lives with nothing but what they, the clothes that they stood up in. And so I started getting, I mean, dude, it's like suppressed truths require awesome power. I didn't write that piece to prove what had happened. I just, I simply like sort of had the temerity to underline certain aspects mm. of, the, of the official story that hadn't been like told properly, i.e. the experience of, of the foreign traders, the experience of one or two Indians, and just sort of question the, this, uh, of, I mean, South Africa is the sort of country where if, all of the headlines, and one of the headlines in in, uh, in I think Times Live was you know that Caligny is is trapped in a part of time warp. And, you know that might well be true, but if you you know you yeah. is, is that your sense of it though? Uh, you, no, you know because we get told black and white, white are rich, black are poor. In in colonies is, is is that is that the sense of it, or is everyone just trying to sort of make a living? No, colonies are fairly is is is, is a desperate place. The economy is depressed. Most of the whites who live there are poor whites. They're railway pensioners. They're the people who don't have jobs at all and so, and subsist on on state charity. And so, the same would apply to the black community. The, exactly the same. It's like you know desperation on both sides of the railway track that bisects the town. Um, and, you know, I'm absolutely willing to believe there's a lot of racism goes on behind closed doors in white colony to be like irrational to pre- presume otherwise. But stories in the newspapers about ra- blacks being forced into separate queues from whites at the OK Bazaar as well. You know, I went there and buy, bought cigarettes and that wasn't true. And then I asked, like, especially Indians about is this true? And they said it never happened to me. And then, you know. The media trades in these cliches about apartheid, but then with a tiny little bit of effort, I found my speaking to this, this ancient Muslim gentleman and his wife, who's like an Afrikaner who used to be a nurse. They're both in their seventies. They got, just got married for love. If apartheid, if colony was the sort of gothic, apartheid gothic horror place that it's supposed to be, they would surely have had their windows broken or at least been sort of shunned or run out of town by an AWB thugs and white racists. Instead, what happens to them? On the 24th of May, as their neighbor's house gets burnt down and they're set to ter- terror-stricken flight by another force entirely. Um, what do you, what do you get the sense? Cause in your article, I, I wasn't sure. Um, and it, it hasn't really come out. The truth, the true motivating factor behind the people who go and burn down those houses, for example, um, is it, is it sort of, Youngsters who are poorly educated are driven by a politician who's arrived in town a couple of days earlier and has said things that has riled them up and they're just kind of reacting or is there some Dude, sort that's, of that's the sort of question that I can't answer is like mm. I and every other journalist in that town if you ask anyone did you participate in the looting did you break this bottle store and and, and uh, mm. were you the guy who came with a bucky and, and took three uh, bucky loads of beer etc nobody's going to admit that yeah what journalists saw as their duty and what the, the system seems to encourage is, is that you go and you ask these polite, 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 uh, polite questions. You, you ask anyone who's like, so with appropriate pigmentation. So are you the victim of racism? And then they say yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I mean, is, is that a genuine perception? Yes, it is. But, I mean, what, is it, what does that entitle you to do? Does it entitle you to… I, I, I'm, I'm just wondering if… if 
So in in the chaos that that colony becomes, um, and it, it kind of chaos begets the chaos. So it starts off with a bit of looting, and then a bit of looting is more looting, and then one house burning is another house burning. Um, I I suppose what I'm trying to understand is whether it's an isolated issue or whether there's actually an ideology driving it, which could spread. And I think that when many people saw what happened in Col- uh, Colony, um, they a lot of what they were thinking was, is this, you know, the race war we've been promised, is this real? Is this something that could, could happen? Are people, um, uh, is this just a reaction in one small town or is this something that we could see in every city in the country? Well, listen, I, this is, in, I, what, now what I'm about to say, I'm indebted to a, a, a podcast by Isaac Duplessis in Afrikaans. Jeez. You're I'm popular. I'm so sorry. No problem. This is not radio. We don't care. Shit. So it's, it's 702 trying to get the exclusive bit late there. <laughs> so you were saying about Isaac's uh, podcast. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, Isaac, he works for RS, RS here. He did a wrap-up of Colony um, a few days ago. And he found – I mean, he's he's – Left-wing principal Africana, but he and he found like a, a good source. A, a white woman used to live in the town and uh, now lives in, in Iraq and had quite a lot of things to say about the sort of racist, alleged racist climate in, in the in, in in the town. But she, God, I'm sorry, guys. I'm really mortified. We're not. Please, no need to apologize. Sorry, back to back to the subject. Isaac, so, his so, podcast. He, he, he finds this white woman who used to be embedded deep in, in in the in the town and said, "Yeah, and it's a racist place." It's like, you know, as soon as the door closes, you can hear whites saying racist things. But then she also, because she had she she had friends and she had connections in the township, she didn't approve of what happened. She didn't approve of the violence and, and looting. And she offered the thing. She she said that. That she had been part of a WhatsApp groups and so forth that indicated that the, what happened was essentially organised by the EFF. Well, I wouldn't be surprised. They, they actually held a, a rally there today. Ah, um, Julius himself was there today. Um, but I mean, what's his name? The, the Premier of the Northwest, Supra, Supra, Supra something, Mushroom yeah. That one, that person. Jeez, I can't say that one. Whoa. Uh, but I mean, he was there at the funeral of this of this of the yeah. of the boy that was tragically killed, and and his whole eulogy was just was just pure scapegoating. Uh, yeah. The whites, uh, the whites are responsible for this. Um, they don't own the land themselves. We, I don't know if he said we need. To, I don't know if he had a call to action, so to speak. But on on, on many counts. It was, at at the very least, defamation. At the very worst, hate speech. You know, throughout. And this was before the bail hearing, where where they got bail. So, I mean, to say that there is no political interference is is, is naive in the extreme. And funny enough, if you read, I'm going to say this out loud. If you read the Huffington Post, <laughs> they send two people, two journalists, to go out there, and it is a phenomenal piece of journalism. They asked questions to people on the streets, and the people on the streets said, we don't care too much. We are worried because we don't have any jobs here, yeah. because the road is a fucking dirt track, because the police treat us differently to the white farmers. They, they were talking about the state inefficiency. They're not talking about interpersonal relationships. Yeah. So, I mean, which is goes back to your point that... 
it's, 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 a, it's a failure of the state what happened. It's not really – there could be some interpersonal conflict between race groups. I'm not denying that. But the attacks were against Indians – and, and the houses were against, I think, white farmers and an Indian family as well. Yeah. And the doctor in the town. I right. Think, I mean, that well. doesn't sound like a race war between white and black. It sounds like a spon- not spontaneous, maybe premeditated looting and arson. Listen, if, if you were taking me, it's not got the story that I, that I was after. And so if you, if we accept that this, what we've just discussed is true. You've got two factors working simultaneously. You've got a defensive ANC that is trying desperately to reinvent itself and, and, and especially the Zuma faction to, to hold, hold on to power. And they've decided that the best way to do this is to, is to, is to become more radical and more extreme in order to counter a threat from, from Julius, who is, uh, who's, whose movement, if we are to believe, uh, Isak was basically responsible for the agitation over the previous weekend that led mm. to this demonstration, which which led to like the outbreak of. I mean, it, what happened in Colony was, in, in a sense, it was like sort of the uh, stuff from like a sort of a tragicomic, like sort of paranoid white nightmare from the 1960s, is where you get trapped on the roof of your burning house, shouting, "It's not me, I'm a liberal." <laughs> I mean, because yeah. because because there was so much there was so much violence and. Going on in the province and in, in that municipality at that time, there was sort of simultaneous uh, service delivery protests at three different locations, with cars and trucks being burnt and passing vehicle stone and so forth, and all the police were there. So when this thing started in Connie, there were there were only five policemen on duty at the police station. Some people told me they didn't have a vehicle, and there was just nothing that they could do. Like a very large crowd sort of came marching over the railway tracks, quite literally, and down the down the town's main road. Hmm. And you know the police, there was simply no police in evidence. It's like so. It, it held its form for a while. Didn't seem to be, have any leaders. Um, and then <sighs> looting started, and it was mm. essentially 24 hours before law and order was was uh, was 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 reestablished. It was very nervous and edgy. All right, so night for. So it kind of answers my question. There, there is an ideology that 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 is driving it, which is seems to be quite nefarious in in terms of achieving certain goals. Um, political party wise um, you write this uh, you write this piece um, before you write the piece or before you publish did you think it was going to cause any particular upset um, probably not to the extent that it did um, you know, I, I knew that there was some sensitive things in it there was uh, and, and some language that was going to that wasn't going to appeal very strongly to certain people hmm. but I didn't uh, yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't could, think it was massively controversial. I think, listen, this when, you know, when the heavens opened and carpet bombs started rain, raining down on my ass there. Hmm. I mean, one of my reactions, this wasn't, you know, just, obviously I hadn't told the black side of the story. You know, I didn't, you know, the, I was, I was simply saying, this is, you know, this is what happened. This is why we need to pay attention to it. It's colony, a sign of things to come. I wasn't there to write alibis. For the uh, for the people who done the looting, that's you know just basically uh, this is we're looking at the series of events from the point of view of the racial minorities who are largely the victims of it. So I was obviously aware that in, in doing that you're breaking the rules in South Africa. Um, did I anticipate the sort of uh, uh, support? 
Well, support them and blow back. I mean, there's a lovely Australian lady, uh, I think, Sison Kim Zimang, who wrote, uh, who wrote, she's in Australia, isn't she? Yeah, she lives in Sydney. Yeah. She wrote Um, a great, great piece. uh, And, and, sorry, Jonathan. Yeah. uh, And the first, the first paragraph had something about white anxiety. Then Mm. I couldn't read on because that doesn't exist. What the fuck is white anxiety? And then, uh, then someone else, Nikki Fuckoff or Fuckoff or I don't know what the fucking name is. Some academic from UCT, yeah. like that's a fucking haven of, of objective thought these days, also wrote a piece about the language you use, Rian. Because here's the thing, Mr. Malan, here's the thing. We care deeply about lived experiences, unless it's you. Oh. Unless you're an Afrikaner, then we don't give a fuck what you think about your lived experience. That is, that is a very neat formulation. I must congratulate you. That's great. Oh, thank you. You know, I was, I was thinking as so one of the things that was buzzing around my head as I as I as I was went as I was reading this new book by Paul McNally. The hero of it, it's a non-fiction book, and the hero is a, is, is a colored guy who's got an auto-electrical shop on, on Decker's Road, and he strips his more because, like, so guys are constantly dealing uh, drugs outside his shop, and uh, the police do absolutely nothing about it for a long time. So he eventually takes the law into his own hands, and he goes out there with a baseball bat, and on repeated occasions he, he donors these guys and put them in hospital. And that's vigilantism. You know, nobody pays any attention whatsoever. We have mob justice incidents daily in, 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 in townships where, where criminal suspects are beaten to death by, by angry mobs. But the moment, the moment you get an, an Afrikaner even in the picture, this is incredible double standard. It's, you know, the incident becomes, you know, it, it becomes a global incident and the sky is suddenly dark with like Jonas flying in from the outside world to pronounce that, uh, you know, that apartheid is live and well and that it lives on in rural South Africa where blacks are poor and, 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 and whites are still rich. And that's, I mean, that, that is such a tired cliche. That's so. Uh, because they want their pet project, Rian. There's a narrative with a capital N. Which is whites rich evil, blacks poor destitute not evil, and anything that that goes against that narrative has to be squashed, including your lived experience, because you were actually there, unlike most yeah. of these other people who live across the world, who don't even come and place Kidney on a fucking map, right? Well, you know, it's, I, I got I got to respond to Susanke's uh, 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 remarks about me. I mean, she said that I was paranoid, and I had to concede that point. So, you know, I'm paranoid. It doesn't yes. mean we're not going to Zimbabwe. But I guess the other – what is the other point that I regret making? Let's put, put it this way. It's like I'd, I'd been to a, a birthday party the night before and I had a crippling hangover that day and had the sense I, I read these two pieces in which I'd been sort of taken to, apart by these two very, very clever and, and very morally armored uh, uh, critics – and I just couldn't keep all the details straight. So just everything that you say is basically, you know, that they – if the price of agreeing with you is to like sort of lie and distort and suppress what I think is there, then I'm just simply not going to do it. And if the price I pay is to be called a racist and paranoid and so forth, then frankly, like Julius Malema, I don't care. Right. The, no, indeed. You know, Ju- Julius is, you know. The, I mean, all, all I saw was, was middle class urban moralism in a place that doesn't have a middle class or moralism at all. A place like Kaligny. Right, you got these urban pseudo journalists who really think that they can use uh, their state of mind to tell us what you really think. But isn't the problem even deeper than that? I mean, I think that the underlying our problem goes back to the the, the, the Enlightenment. But anyway, the underlying 
the idea that screws us up in South Africa is this idea that because all people are born equal and are equally gifted, all outcomes should be identical. And any exception to that, if there are too few women in the physics department and uh, too few too few Africans in the in, in the geology department, and if, if if whites earn less than black in South Africa, that is taken as de facto proof right. of of racism or sexism or whatever these evil things that we must all unite and and move on. And it's a it's a it's a uh, all these conclusions are totally unsustainable. They would, all, all these factors are, 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 are influenced by enormous like, cultural and economic comple- complexities. And humans. Humans are different. And difference is great. I mean, we bang this drum all the time yeah. on this podcast, exactly what you've just said, because you don't find equality in any specific area does not mean that there's a problem. Um, it's, a, it's a false um, god Equality, uh, in in the sense that everything must be equal, it, it's a complete, it's a false, false god or false idol. Okay, there are areas in which everything in things much must be equal. If you show me black South Africans with the same qualifications as white people who are earning considerably less, absolutely because they're black, that is wrong. Okay, absolutely agree. But yeah. if but if you look at the only part of the South African economy controlled by the dreaded white monopoly capital, which is the formal sector, according to Mark Schisler, inequality in the formal sector, which is the gap between the obscenely compensated CEO and the, the shop floor grants, slots in just above or below Switzerland. I mean, we're not that extreme. In fact, if you looked even closer at the formal sector, you're going to see lots of black people like being earning a premium, up to 40% in the case of guys with degrees in, in the hard sciences, in, in geology. In IT, etc., there are quotas to fulfil, and they're really scarce. So, therefore, they earn more money. That's how capitalism and various other thing, things work. It doesn't. None of these statistics says like this oft-heard quota that white household incomes are six times or five times like higher than black so the black household incomes. It, technically, that appears to be true, but it doesn't mean what it says. It doesn't mean to say that that I am being paid six more times more than a 62-year-old black journalist. Is <laughs> I, don't, I haven't had a job since 1977, so that's a bullshit example. <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, the the uh, <clears throat> you're a very shitty capitalist, I have to say. <laughs> Dude, I've never made an investment in my life. I don't trust those guys. I used to be a real socialist. I bought a house. That's all I ever done. I wouldn't know. I'm not going to speculate in the stock market. I'm a Calvinist. I, th- I think there's nothing for Mahala. But let me just finish this point. I mean, you, you probably know the work of Mike Schussler, the economist, yes. who points out that, you know, the average South African is like sort of 39, 40 years old, is, often has a university degree, has been working for, for, for decades and earning steady uh, uh, raises, usually both mother and mom and dad working, working in the household. And so, yes, they have this towering household income, whereas the average black South African is 20 or 21 probably hasn't finished matric, doesn't have a job, and might never get one the way we are going. So, I mean, this is something that people – that's the, the, the chief cause, the primary cause of inequality in South Africa is inescapably that. It's like black – I perceive like what I feel like to be white is, is, is that I'm being held by the throat with, by one hand and being, and being throttled because I'm a racist and because the system is unjust and unfair and unequal, and at the same time being whipped if we – try. We get whipped if we try to do anything about inequality in South Africa, which is the only thing that we can do, is to try and make the economy grow and try and uh, create jobs for the people who are really suffering in this country, which is the 
the 9 million people that don't have any jobs at all and don't have any social grants because they're in the wrong age group. And, I mean, you guys know, you know the literature, you know the surveys. Whenever you have an, an opinion survey about South, about South Africa, it like, always says the same thing. It's like overwhelming majority of people are the central and desperate obsession is job creation. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, usually it's, uh, you know, the top things that South Africans care about is is uh, jobs, employment, um, housing, and and health. And those education. Are, and education. Those, yeah. are the, those are, you know, race and, and those other things don't really... It's, Jonathan, it's it. almost like that they are people. <laughs> it's quite remarkable. It's almost yeah. like they don't know what postmodern racialism is. Don't you find that astounding? I mean, UCT keeps telling me about everyone thinks we're racist, but if you actually go speak to them, you know, the poor people, and you ask them the questions, they're like, I just want a better life. It's, it's almost like they have agency. It's quite remarkable. You, you, oh, guys, you guys, you guys are radical. You, it's, uh, that's good, but there's, there's no such thing as moderation in, 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 the, in, the, in the pursuit of truth and justice. So, Is it radical to say that black people have agency? Is it radical to say that a poor person does not want to be poor? Um, How is that radical? I'm, I'm afraid so, because it, it diverges from you. you you're supposed to you, you're supposed to add very very quickly that after that they that they're poor because of because of the legacy of apartheid, colonialism, neo-colonialism, World Bank policy, imperialism, and structural problems in the. I mean, that's the only context in right. that you're allowed to present and, these. And things. I fully accept that apartheid had a massive thing, a massive uh, is a, a massive role. factor to to do with that. Anyone who doesn't agree is is a bit deluded in my eyes. But I know what the what the answer is. But my answer is, you grow the economy, you take away minimum wage, you let people enter the marketplace. Oh, please, man. deregulate it's, so that you. It's, it's really not hard. But these, Hallelujah, but these fucking lefty. I get really frustrated, but these lefty fuckers <laughs> who just want to redistribute and blame and shift guilt and and do everything in their power to not let that happen because then those people are off the fucking plantation and they can't control them. Exactly. That's what irritates me the exactly. fucking most. Exactly. And it would be harder to manipulate them by appealing to their most primordial resentments. And and I don't and I don't resent that poor people feel that way, because they have nothing else. If someone if I was like that and someone said, "Give me power and I'll give you what you want," fuck it, I'll be the first in line. So don't you think we should uh, establish a very large bursary fund and send uh, hundreds of thousands of South Africans to China? Starting with Nikki Falkoff, maybe, and, uh, and these other people to, uh, and to China and Singapore, just well, to have Nikki a look Falkoff at Nikki lives in Cape Town, probably Nikki a, another afford. one of these whites on the Atlantic seaboard who likes to opine on, on, um, all the suffering of, uh, of people less fortunate than her, but has never crossed over, uh, so far as to leave the city bowl. And all these fucking people live in the whitest area in the fucking country. So I, and, but and I, I do, pont- pont- but I do agree with you. Perhaps that is a, that is, that would be an interesting solution. I mean, I'd be interested in something like that. Uh, something that, that, that bypasses government and increases education. Um, and educates, gives people a, a great education. I don't know if China's the answer. Just go to Botswana. <laughs> That's right, yeah. You can, you can just drive. It's true. Triple A rating, and they're not afraid of, of saying it on Twitter, if you haven't noticed. It's almost like they're making fun of us. 
Mm-hmm. But, but education these days can come in many forms. And I think that if you want to educate people on how society can move forward and should move forward, uh, universities have proven again and again that they are not the places to do that. Um, well, on the contrary. Uh, universities are the places to teach STEM subjects, pretty much. And for the rest of it, they are sheltered employment for people who otherwise are useless in the real world. That's uh, essentially become my view on it. I, I cannot see, I think there was probably benefit in the sociology departments, maybe in, maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, and even then they were pushing it a bit. Now it's uh, so overrun. It's Marxism together with postmodernism that there is nothing left yeah. which is valuable. And frankly, if every single sociology department were to go up in flames and there were nothing left tomorrow morning, I do not think we would be any worse off. Well, I think we'll be a lot better, what you're talking about. That's an improvement. Well, what about if we just uh, closed down all the humanities and sociology and political science departments and use the resources we've thus gained to like, sort of educate huge new numbers of confident and strong black engineers and, 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 and scientists and uh, but, nuclear but we, physicists. And but we don't need to educate in that way. People will find their way. Just give them freedom, Rian. For the first time in, their, in someone's life, give them some freedom. Yeah. And choice. And so Ramon wants to give everyone free Wi-Fi. It's not a bad argument. It's not at all. There. I think it should be a get, human right. Or, or, or put it this way, free YouTube. Free YouTube, and you can pretty much find most. And there's only five channels available. Ben Shapiro, <laughs> the Young Republicans, and uh, I don't know. And a whole other. bunch of science, a uh, whole bunch of science stuff, not like, Bill Nye. Not, no, we said science, not entertainment. <laughs> science, which is not Bill Nye. So, but why, why do you guys think you do this more often than I do? How come the ANC construct, why is it so difficult for South Africa to produce a, a, a black leader who is going to push these pro-growth policies? Who's going, who's going to just slap down these like irritating sort of spoiled white people who because propaganda who propaganda is pernicious that um, apartheid was capitalist. Speak to any ordinary person, they think apartheid was capitalist. Where it was actually national socialism. When you have a banana board who hmm. decides the shape of your fucking bananas and who you're allowed to sell it to, that is that. Cannot be capitalist you're, in its light. You know, you're completely right. It's like a, a capitalist believes in free markets, inter alia for labor. If you go back right. to Cecil John Rhodes, who invented the mine compound system, I mean, this was expressly designed to crush every manifestation of a free market in labor. Yes. So, you know, laborers were recruited like somewhere near the equator, marked to the near, marched to the nearest railhead, um, tra- trucked to, uh, to, to Kimberley and and cattle cars, and then ushered down a barbed wire corridor into a compound, which is f- effectively a prison. It was illegal for them to desert, and it was illegal for anyone to attempt to, you know, for any white man who went there and tried to offer them more money, was also illegal. Yeah. The last thing they wanted, that's not a capitalist thing, it's feudalism, or it's like, I don't know. Well, it's slavery, in slavery. some sense. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, people think slavery ended because it was immoral. No, because it's a shitty economic system. It's deeply yeah. shitty. It's far better to pay people to do a job and they'll actually do better. Like, funny enough, if you don't own them as property, they actually do a better job because they're getting remunerated for it. That's the only reason slavery died. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I've got, I've got big faith in, in only, no, well, not faith. I, I, I'm an anarchist at heart, so I don't, 
like any of these people, but I, there's no faith in an anarchist's heart. No, no. So there's only two people: uh, Sali Msumanga, Mayor Pretoria, and um, and Herman Mashaba. If they remain in the DA, um, then we've got a bit of hope. But if if the DA wins and it's just ANC light. What's the point? Like, what is the fucking point? And that's becoming like that, unfortunately. Right. I, I think there's a there's a there's a there's a disconnect. There's a false belief uh, between what real people think and feel. We saw this in the American yeah. election. Um, yeah. If if you only watched the media prior to that election, Hillary was going to win. I mean, yeah. we'll, we'll let reference to the Huffington Post for the second time. Ninety eight percent chance of winning. What was that? Twenty hours before the election. Um, you, you know, the, the, there's a belief of what people want to hear, and so that gets peddled, and it's, it's quite manipulated by the agendas are, and the leanings of various organizations. And then there is what people truly think. Uh, we saw it in our own elections here last time, the local government elections. We were told that at best, you know, for example, the DA would win a PE if they were lucky. Um, and there was no hope. There's that vape pen again that Rob loves so much. Oh. Um, the, um, at, at best, you know, um, they would get PE and there was no hope of, of Joburg and Pretoria. And yes, I know it came as about a coalition, but there's obviously a, a large disconnect there because the, what we get, get told and, and, and what actually happens is very different. I don't think most people um, do buy into this this rhetoric, which is why I asked that question before of, of, of whether you think there's a real danger. Um, because... The reality is it doesn't take uh, – it won't take 50 million people to, to set fire to the entire country. It'll take 5,000, um, yes. uh, unfortunately. Um, and and so, you know, I echo Ramon's sentiments that people who clearly have um, a very free market view, even though they don't necessarily always behave in that way – you know, Herman Mashab has been a little bit of a disappointment recently in that respect. Um, he's he's been less libertarian, less conservative in some of his decisions he's made within the city. Personally, I think that's a pragmatic approach he's had to take, um, because in government and in politics, victories come quite slowly. Yes, and you see when you speak honestly and openly, as Helen Zillan now does, because she's got. Nothing left to no lose. No fucks to give. Yeah, she doesn't care. She's gone after this next election. She, she's her pre- time as premier is done, and and she will. Who knows? Maybe she'll start a decent media group. But um, she, she, she speaks openly. But that's not good for politics. Um, so you know, Herman, people like Herman Shaba. I mean, Soli Simanga, as far as I'm concerned, should be running the DA. Um, he's he's superb. Um, he just doesn't seem to have taken any time for, for shit. Um, but he also doesn't sell lines. Um, he's and, not, he's not and, a and one of, one of, one of Musi's issues in my opinion is that he, he sells lines. He's also good at, at coming up with things like we have a good story to tell. You know, he's, yeah. he's, uh, so as Ramon says, ANC light could be, could be a real concern. Um, well, I just come to keep on thinking, isn't isn't it possibly the case that uh, a centrist, essentially, or instinctively centrist leader like Cyril Ramaphosa or Musi, 
I can mention a few others, that they allow themselves to be intimidated by this tiny cast of like well-educated white, white academics and their acolytes uh, who now have important positions yeah. and voices in the media and, 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 and Twitter. And that this creates – they think that that's the public. I keep mm. on thinking, dude, maybe it isn't. Maybe what if you just like sort of shrug this off like a giant and stand yeah. up and say, I will no longer listen to it, this it, nonsense. It's not the public, but it takes great strength to shrug that off um, at every level. You know, when we started this podcast, we were told we would at best get 200 listeners. Um, and we are now pretty much the, the one of the largest podcasts in the country, if not the largest. It's It takes a lot of um, – uh, Sort of belief to shrug that off, and I think if you're someone like Musi Maimani or Cyril Ramaphosa, um, and all you see is that stuff being thrown at you because the entire media swings left, so all you see is that that uh, agenda, um, and Twitter obviously, and the social media space is dominated in that respect. Um, it's it's very difficult to believe that that. Everything that, even though all the inputs you're being given lean one way, that the reality leans the opposite. Yeah, but I mean, don't, don't underestimate their, their ability to patronize their voters as well. Yeah, it, sure. it, it's very, it's much easier to say, vote for me and you'll get what you want rather than vote for me and I'll set you free. To, to, to get, to, to get what you want yourself. Yeah, for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. It's much easier to say, well, I'll give you what, what you want. It's, it's much easier. And unfortunately, it works because people are desperately poor. And hopeless, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, what can I say at the end of that other than. <laughs> On that depressing <laughs> note. <laughs> well, no, no. I mean, do you. I mean, let's go back. I mean, are you right for time, Ryan? Do you have yeah, anywhere no, to, no, to go? No, okay. No. Uh, let's go back. You, you, you stated that you were paranoid. Um, I, I understand that paranoia, and I share some of it. I'm not going to lie. The thing about South Africa, and Helen Zeller actually told me this. When uh, you know, you're not supposed to drop names, but on Twitter she told me at least. So, South Africa's always been at like five minutes to midnight for like at least a century. You know, any any minute there could be something catastrophic and it's all fucked up, and it never seems to happen. But I have zero faith in many things, but I I do have a bit of faith in in the population of this country to not fuck it up. In a way that's, that's not, um, that we can't get back from, you know. Um, is there any glint of hope for you in, in that way? If, if I believe the, uh, opinion surveys, then they condemn me. They say, they say that I'm a, a, a cynic and a pessimist and, and certainly a, a, pro- a prophet with absolutely no honor in this country. Um, all I can say is, dude, I hope and pray. I would be so happy if I'm proven to be a complete asshole and if I wind up with egg on my face and it turns out, I can't, come on, South Africa, fucking surprise me. Make me look like a moron. Come yeah. on. Show that I'm talking shit there. I'll, I'll dwindle off into, into retirement and you won't hear anything else from me because of, of my deep shame. <laughs> you get that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know if you answered it though. Is there, is there hope or maybe hope is the wrong word, but do you foresee some scenarios that may work out which are actually beneficial. Give us in your lifetime. So, I mean, it's hard to say in 50 years or 100, but, you know, you said you're 62. I'd say in the next decade. 
My faith in the free market idea, the idea I talked about of China as this towering gorilla in the room, I keep on hoping and praying that, 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 that there must be some sort of slow and steady accretion of people recognizing that the, the path down which all our leaders are wanting to, lose it, to lead us now is like the wrong one. It's not going to help, especially like the poorest people. But now I'm sounding like a liberal again, and I don't, I don't want to do that. Is there hope? There's, in all my life in South Africa, there's been this extraordinary contradiction between the, the politics and who we're supposed to be and how things are like in my, in my, in my, in my personal, in my personal life. It's like the, the people, the black people that I interact with and that I see every day. I love them. And at risk of fucking extreme contradiction, I think they at least sort of like me. Right. Our, our relationships might not be equal, but there's a great deal of reciprocity in them. I do the best by them that I can, or whatever. It's like they buy me cigarettes without being asked, and I return the favor, and then I buy drinks, and they buy drinks, and we, and then we sit there drinking and clinking our glasses and uh, finishing our lines about what a desperately bad situation South Africa is in. But it is a manifestation of the secret history of love in Azania, because there is quite a lot of that still. Yeah. I think there's there's a glint of hope in that analogy. Well, that's a bit more positive. I think we can end it there. Really? Do you want to end on hope, though? I'm not fucking Barack Obama. <laughs> you can end on something else if you want, but I'm fine there. Right. Okay. Well, just one last thing from me. Yeah, oh, Rian, please. Go yeah, ahead. Well, you guys started with uh, with Donald Trump. So I was just wondering, I've been watching this drama. The people who are attacking Trump, the people who are leaking the stuff about him, they know exactly what uh, what Flynn said to the Russian ambassador. Okay? They, they, they've been looking and they unmasked him and they've been sharing that stuff and chortling about it a long time ago, for, for months already. Mm. So, I mean, it could have been something really like dastardly, like Ivan. It's like our pl- plot has come to fruition thanks to your hacking. It's like, and now Hillary's dead and we can proceed with our secret plan for world domination. Or it could also be like, how's it, man? How are you doing? Yeah, no, thanks. I'll, t- I'll tell the president you say congratulations, sweet, and we'll, we'll see you. Yeah, it's probably something in between. Like, listen, these sanctions are a bit rough. And uh, if you could look at uh, trying to get the sanctions uh, dropped or lifted or whatever it is, uh, that would be great. It, it's, it's, some, it's probably something like that. But, but why, is, yeah. why, is, why is America in the world being kept in the dark about what actually was said in that conversation? Because that's the root of the whole thing. They're just they're, you know, come on. It's not it, well. I, I suppose because because either it's not it's not bad enough to if it was bad enough to completely sink him, it'd be like Watergate, right? They'd release the worst of it. Um, it would be enough to destroy him overnight. I think in regards to the Trump presidency is he was never going to be allowed to just have four years. He was, he, he was never going to be given a chance. And, and personally, I think this will blow over. Um, it's now got a special investigator. Yeah, that special, they can't really moan about special counsel. Uh, yeah, special counsel. But and let's not for, sorry, John. Uh, let's not forget, Rian. Um, since January the twentieth, the the mainstream media, as people call them, are really, really, really worried about due process. All of a sudden, they're really worried. I mean, there was amnesia for eight years. Obama did whatever he could. You don't impeach a president if he if he drops thirty thousand bombs a year. You don't you don't kill a president who who destroys uh, Yemeni wedding parties. You don't impeach a president who spies on everyone, including foreign leaders. You don't impeach a president that funds drug cartels in Mexico. Uh, you don't. You know, you don't impeach any of these, any of these acts. Um, there may have been conversations with Russia. Boom, impeachment. Get fucked. Really now. <laughs> like really. 
It will blow over. It's probably a recipe it, it, for vodka it'll, it'll, or something worse, but who gives a shit? It'll blow over whatever it is, and then there'll be something else. I guarantee it. And there will be something else for four years until they either get it right and manage to impeach him, which they might do after 2018 because they'll control the House um, after 2018 if he carries on like this. And then the Democrats will impeach him for eating a peach. Um, like, oh, if it, it will be that stupid. That. No. Um, My favorite line of the Trump era has been this guy Charles Murray, who's a conservative in his own right, but he did mm. not. He turned against Trump. He didn't, wasn't supportive. Yeah, he was a never Trumper, I think. And so then, 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 then he starts getting a, sort of a, attacks and, uh, and messages from sort of people who are supporting Trump. And they said, no, listen, there's something going on here that you don't understand. We don't support Trump because we, we like him or we approve of him. We support him because he's a murder weapon. <laughs> Yeah. I.e., yeah. a murder weapon against against this uh, this sort of like sneering, condescending uh, metrosexual elite in the cities who you know yeah, really the, aren't that interested in ordinary mm. redneck Americans. Yeah, uh, the flyover uh, states. It's the, it's the coastal elites versus everyone else, and all the journalists live on the coasts, on the eastern or western coast. They're all from Boston, New York, California, Los Angeles, shit like that. They're the ones making the news. They're the ones who are controlling the way information is leaked. They're spreading misinformation a lot of the time and then correcting it two days later. But the misinformation gets 5,000 retweets. The correction gets 200 retweets. Um, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a clash of cultures at the and, end of the day. And in all of this, he's, he is doing things wrong, which are completely yeah. going and he's unnoticed. Fucking, and he's a fucking baby. <laughs> Um, it was, he must grow up as well. What did he do uh, recently? Oh, I mean, he, he has um, Erdogan. He invites Erdogan over to, to D.C. to meet with the guy. I mean, he should never have done that. That's despicable. Um, and he should be getting nailed in the press and by everyone for having done that. It, on top of it, Erdogan then um, has – there's a protest outside the Turkish embassy. And uh, he seemingly instructs one of his bodyguards to go and cause violence among the crowd during which American citizens are assaulted by Turkish bodyguards. Um, and and I, that, that's unacceptable. That's, it doesn't matter who the president is. This should be the headline news. But unfortunately, they're so obsessed with the Russia stuff, which – it really is neither here nor there at this point. Um, and, and really bad stuff that he's doing is getting ignored. I mean, he's, he's, he's on his way to Saudi Arabia, I think, as we speak, uh, doing his big world tour, Saudi Arabia, the Vatican, Israel, and Belgium. I don't know how Belgium got thrown in there, but, it's um, in the country, <laughs> but, but, um, yeah, you Frenchman, eh? You won't let it go. That's not uh, a fucking country. It was um, created to stop Hitler from invading. What did he do? He just fucking invaded anyway. Um, but he, he's going to go to Saudi Arabia, sign, you know, a, a, a large arms deal uh, with Saudi Arabia, 100 billion, I think, in arms, in, in an arms deal after having t- nailed Hillary on the fact that sh- her, her campaign and her foundation was funded, uh, in large part by the Saudis. So he deserves criticism for all of this, uh, and he's wrong on all of it, but it's being missed. It's being missed yeah. amongst the hysteria. They're hitting him for stupid stuff, and they're missing out on the big stuff. All he has to do is two things. Build the fucking wall and drain the swamp. So far, none of that's, none of that's happening. He's yeah. losing sight. And because he's losing sight because he's never had a boss. He's never worked for anyone in his life. So he doesn't understand authority at all. 
So, I mean, anyway, that's my yeah, view that's on our, Trump. That's, our, that's where we stand on Trump. I mean, yeah, that's our view on Trump. <laughs> you done? I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Anything no, else I, was, I was just, I was just, I was just speechless and. Uh, no, it's cool. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It's very good. Well, jeez. Well, I mean, Rian, it's, uh, it's, it's our pleasure to host you on this, uh, this little, little, little podcast, you know, and he gets a dozen downloads or so every hour. Um, but it's been an immense pleasure to have you. Uh, thank you so much. And just, 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 I'm going to sound like a capricious youngster, but just keep writing, man. Your, your work is, is oh, absolutely, thanks, man. your work is absolutely immense. And fuck everyone else he says otherwise. Yeah. Keep thanks, writing. Thanks, bro. Yeah. That's, that's my fist on my chest. Part of the bro, now like you're part that. of the bro force. <laughs> the bro, hashtag bro force. Hashtag bro force. And if you want to find us on other social media, where can we find you? I've got a, my, uh, my Twitter handle is uh, dead white man too, but I've never, tweeted. I, I just, uh, I just like sort of set it up and, uh, all right. Well, you can tweet all your hate at Dead White Men too. Yes, yes. Um, so I praise. I yeah. Well, sure, but 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 you know the hate's more fun. Um, and uh, obviously, you can find us at Renegade underscore Reports. And join our Facebook group, please. It's 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 quite immense. Just search for Facebook. I mean, uh, Renegade Report group on Facebook, and come join us. There's immense conversations every day there. Awesome. And uh, as always, at Roman Kabernack, at Jonathan underscore Witt. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cliffcentral.com.